0: Hi, everyone. Thank you for welcoming us into your home. I trust you're having a great day. You know, I'm finding that grandparenting gives a whole new perspective to raising children. You get to observe without so much skin in the game. <laughs> After all, you're not the one who's going to be responsible to potty train them. You're not the one that's responsible about their education or anything else. Uh, You get to love on them and you get to observe, you get to anticipate the stages of their development rather than reacting to them as we did when we were parenting uh, ourselves. Uh, You get to see the bigger picture. Well, just as children have stages and steps in their developmental process, so there are steps and stages in our spiritual growth. Um, we don't stop changing. I get so excited when I hear senior citizens even talking about what God is doing in their life and what they're learning new about Jesus. Well, when was the last time you took another step in your walk with the Lord? Uh, What habits have you put in place to make sure that you're taking the next step? Has your faith grown recently? Has your love for Jesus and others deepened? How's your prayer life? Well, we're going to be looking at the conversion of the Apostle Paul to learn about next steps in this series. Our metaphor for this series is onto the porch, into the living room, and through the kitchen. So we hope to help you visualize what we're endeavoring to understand the Lord is doing in our lives as he he takes us on this spiritual journey of growth. the porch metaphor is this idea of first being introduced to the kingdom of God, first being introduced to Jesus. The living room idea is where we become part of community, part of small groups, part of weekend experiences. And the kitchen metaphor stands for when we learn to serve, when we learn to go out and do something with the, t- the gifts and talents that the Lord has been giving us. We will see this illustrated in the conversion of Saul the early church's greatest antagonist. He becomes the Apostle Paul, the author of one quarter of the New Testament. Our text for this morning is Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 6. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way Lord, we thank you for your word to us today. We thank you for this tremendous conversion story of Saul, who became the Apostle Paul. We thank you that you too are at work in our lives and that you want to help us know you and welcome us into your community. Lord, we thank you that uh, you can enable us to take the next step in our spiritual journey. In your name we pray, amen. So in this series, we're going to see how the Lord moves people from being outsiders to being insiders, from off the porch and on the street to onto the porch and to begin to uh, learn what it means to be a follower of Jesus and to develop a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the same way, we talk about people becoming citizens who were once aliens or who were once antagonists to becoming protagonists in the kingdom of God. And not only that, we're going to see our role in that transformation, helping people on the porch, helping people in the living room, helping people through the transition to serve in the kitchen, so to speak. We all have a part to play. Porch, living room, kitchen. We'll also see that there are several essential experiences during this process. This isn't just a matter of going through the motions. This is also a matter of experience. Something is going to be happening in our lives. Something is going to be happening around us and in us and through us as we go through this process of uh, coming into the Kingdom of God and learning how to become community and then learning how to serve. We will First of all, learn that there is a personal experience. And this perhaps is the most important part of our uh, following of Jesus, to 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 fall in love with Jesus, to have this relationship that's ongoing with Jesus as our savior and friend. But we're also going to find out that then in this process there's a group experience, a, a small group experience. A group a group uh, experience with a small number of individuals who we learn with and who we learn from and who we grow together with. And we're going to that as, as part of this growth experience, and we'll see it in the life of, of uh, Paul, there's a weekend experience, a, a larger gathering where we worship together and learn together and, and learn to serve better together. And then, of course, there's a the serve experience where we take what we've been learning, we, we, we focus our attention on others and endeavor to serve the kingdom of God and serve Jesus through our gifts and through our talents and through our personalities and who we are. And we want you to, uh, to have these kinds of experiences at CLCC. Now, the story of Paul's conversion is told three times in the book of Acts. Once it's told by Luke, the historian, the, the writer of the book of Acts, and then it's twice told by Paul in his preaching. We find the first story being told by Luke in, in Acts 9, and then Paul preaches it in Acts 22 and then he preaches it again near the end of the book in chapter 26 it's also this story is also referred to briefly in Paul's letter 1 Corinthians 9 1 and chapter 15 3 to 8 and it's also seen in Galatians chapter 1 verse 11 to 16 might we say from 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 all of that um, storytelling that this becomes a central story in the New Testament particularly in the book of Acts Now this takes place about four to seven years after the resurrection of Jesus and we'll see first of all that Luke's account is pretty brief. Uh, He he just gives us the essence of it. He says that Paul has a personal encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus to persecute Christians. Uh, Paul in his, uh, well he was Saul in his uh, uh, Jewish pharisaical uh, mindset perceived that Christians were Jewish heretics, and it was his responsibility to rid the world of these heretics. He is pictured in the book of Luke and in Luke's telling of the story, he is pictured as a dangerous animal, breathing out murderous threats. In fact, um, the imagery that Luke uses when he describes Paul in his pre-conversion state, in his pre-Damascus Road state, as a wild animal, In chapter 8, verse 3, he's mauling the church. And in chapter 9, verse 1, the literal translation is this perception that he's panting and snorting like a wild animal. A light from heaven flashes around him. And he falls to the ground and he hears a voice that says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul says, who are you, Lord? And the response from Jesus is, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Now, when Paul retells the story in his sermon in Acts chapter 22, we get more details. And we get more details because it's a different audience. Luke has one audience that he's writing to when he, when he writes the book of Acts. Paul in his sermon has a different audience. And whenever we have different audiences, we shape our material to best reflect that audience, so that best speaks to that audience. And so Paul's not making things out, but he is, he is broadening the story to help us understand all that went on, so that he appeals to that particular audience that he's speaking to. Uh, the story becomes central to the way Luke explains the gospel of Jesus Christ, the New Testament. And as the story unfolds, as we get Paul's preaching the story, we find that the story intensifies in the retelling. The persecution becomes more intense. The light increases in intensity. And for example, with the persecution, in Luke's version of the story, when he's just giving us a brief outline, he says that he's coming to get uh, men and women to arrest them, to take them to Jerusalem. Uh, in chapter 22, it's not only that, but he's putting, he's causing them to be put to death. And then by the time we get 26, Paul gives us more information about what's happening in that he is not only bringing them and causing them to be imprisoned and maybe put to death, but he's also endeavoring to force them to blaspheme. So this would involve torture. So the persecution, as the story goes on, increases as Paul divulges more and more information about what he was doing before he became a follower of Jesus. The light intensity increases in the story. If you look at it carefully, and the message of Jesus becomes more detailed as Paul explains more about what Jesus spoke to him. When you look at chapter 26, verse 16 to 18, we learn that Jesus wants, uh, warns him about persecution, and he also calls him and tells him that he's going to be an apostle or a leader to bring the gospel, the good news story to the Gentiles. So this is not simply a story about Paul's salvation. It's not simply a story about Paul's call or Paul trying to defend his call as an apostle or his qualifications as an apostle. This is Luke's understanding of a process. He places it in his material because what we're learning in modern scholarship is that Luke isn't just randomly writing down events. He's shaping his material so that his readers will understand the gospel and how the Spirit is at work in the church today, uh, post-resurrection. In other words, the Spirit was at work through Jesus when Jesus was on earth, and the Spirit continues his work in the book of Acts. And Luke wants us to see that, and he wants to show us in in the example of Paul's conversion how the Holy Spirit how Jesus tends to continue to work in his church. This is about a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. It's about someone moving into the kingdom of God we might say. It's about someone getting on the porch. It's someone in the very beginning of their relationship with Jesus. And next week, we're going to see him in a group experience. We're going to see him in the living room kind of experience, whereas he's interacting with other people like uh, Ananias. And uh, we're going to hear the story unfold and see the steps of his development. But this is the first step. Luke wants us to know that the first step is a personal encounter with Jesus. You notice that Jesus says to Saul, why do you persecute me? Now, at first glance, that seems to be a little strange because we think that Paul is persecuting Christians, but Jesus is saying that by persecuting Christians, by persecuting people in of the way, he is persecuting Jesus personally. And so it's a very personal thing. Why do you persecute me? Now, Jesus has initiated this encounter. Uh, Paul hasn't been argued. It hasn't been, uh, it hasn't been a philosophy that's convinced him uh, that the people of the way had, had the right insight into God and the kingdom of God. This is a personal encounter with Jesus where Jesus interrupts him on the way to Damascus. And Paul's not convinced of anything yet. I mean, he's blinded. He's he's in shock. Uh, he's led by the hand into Damascus, and it's going to take some discipling. It's going to take some friends of his to come alongside of him to explain what he's experiencing. But he's going to continue this personal relationship with Jesus. You see, the essence of the gospel is that Jesus has called us into a relationship with Him, a friendship, a partnership, a journey with Jesus. And this is primarily who you are, a friend of Jesus called to know him. Now, just as Jesus called the disciples to follow him in the gospels, he is still calling people. It's a personal invitation. Now, our calling might not be as dramatic as the Apostle Paul's. We may not hear a voice from heaven. We may not see a bright light. But Jesus is still speaking to people, Jesus is still calling. In fact, I don't think I know anybody who's come to Jesus, who's gotten onto the porch, who hasn't had this personal encounter. With Jesus something happening into the life and and if you haven't heard Jesus recently it could be because there's too much noise in your life It could be that the noise of your life is drowning out what Jesus is trying to communicate to you (laughs) I've noticed as I've gotten older, something's happening with my hearing. And uh, my parents used to say this when when we were ever in a crowded restaurant and there are a lot of there's a lot of background noise going on. They'd often say, "Speak up, I can't hear you." And I used to think, you yeah, know, why can't you hear me? What's the problem? But as I've gotten older, I notice that background noise in a restaurant makes it often very difficult to hear someone talk to you, even across the table from you. And you really have to concentrate and almost have to lip read in order to hear them because the background noise as we age. Seems seems to have more an effect of an effect on our hearing. Well, in the same way, the background noise of our lives tends to have an effect on our ability to hear Jesus. And I think it's important for us to learn to be quiet. In the very noisy world that we live in, we need to learn to be quiet. We need to learn to rest. We learn to, need to learn to pause, reflect, and listen. Because I believe that Jesus still speaks today. I still believe that Jesus wants this personal encounter with each one of us. And it starts with this invitation. It may be a quiet invitation. It may be some miracle that Jesus does. It could be some insight that all of a sudden comes to us about who he is. And it may, as in Paul's sake, was a, a, a verbal testimony to Jesus, to, to Paul, about uh, who Jesus was and what Paul was doing. It's a supernatural calling, a supernatural appeal to us to come. To a personal relationship with Jesus. So it's important for us not to get lost in the forest of denominational convictions, or cultural expectations, or of churchianity. And I think sometimes Christians forget, and, and, and perhaps even neglect, that their relationship is a relationship primarily with Jesus, a friendship with Jesus. And, and that's what must be cultivated, and that what must be what prompts us to continue to grow in him. And I think, on the other hand, churches tend to neglect this. Churches tend to be, well, some churches tend to be more interested in creating good churches, churchgoers or churchianity or, or people who are uh, heavily in, invested in their denominational convictions, rather than really encouraging people to develop this dynamic, growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's keep the main thing the main thing at CLCC. Let's, let's make sure that, that we are understanding that this is about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and that we grow in that. Our church's role is to help you take the next step, help you take that next step. We believe that that there are steps And, and we see this pattern. We believe we see this pattern in the book of Acts. So we're endeavoring to help you take the next step in your adventure of faith with Jesus. But it's completely frivolous if you're not grounded in a personal relationship with Jesus first and foremost. So prioritize your friendship with Jesus. Talk to him often. Listen to him carefully. Learn as much as you can about him. Endeavor to please him. All of these things are what good friends do. Next week we'll learn. It's not simply about a private journey, but we are on this journey alongside others. So we encourage you. We encourage you to take the next step. What is your next step? What is Jesus talking to you about? How are you growing in your relationship with Jesus Christ? Would you consider that? Would you think about that? Let's pray. So Father, we pray in your name that we would be reminded that this is about an encounter with Jesus, primarily that we would remember that you want a friendship with us. You are our friend, and we can talk to you, and we can learn from you. We can hear from you in in a great variety of ways. You can speak to us through your word. You can speak to us through friends. You can speak to us in our sleep. You can speak to us through our devotions, through our quiet times. And, Lord, thank you that you do that. We pray that we would continue to make that a focus of our lives. And we pray that we would encourage others who are beginning their journey with Jesus, who are just encountering Jesus. We pray that we would come alongside them and help them on that journey. In your name we pray. Amen. We have a question of the day for you. It's simply this. What is the next step in your spiritual journey? Where's the Lord taking you? What might you do this week to take that next step, to grow in your relationship with Jesus? I've noticed that when I'm working with a good friend whom I trust, I can allow them to go about their responsibility because they have expertise in areas that that I don't have expertise in, and I know that everything's going to be okay. Now, I may not understand what they're doing. In fact, I might have proceeded in a different way from the way they're proceeding, but because my faith is not in exactly what they're doing at the moment, but my faith is in them I can trust them to work out what they're endeavoring to accomplish to do it well. You see, our faith is in Jesus, not in our current circumstances. When Jesus is our friend, we trust him. Our faith is not in the favorable outcome of the current dilemma. In other words, we're not saying, oh, I really trust that this will work out as I want it to work out. That's where I'm putting my faith. No, our faith is in Jesus. And because we know Jesus to be faithful, we know Jesus has our best interest in mind and the glory of God in mind. We know that he will work it out. So even though the the current circumstance may not be going exactly as we'd hoped it would go, because our faith is in Jesus, our relationship with, with Jesus and not the circumstances, we know that he will work it out for his honor and glory and for our best interest. Keep that in mind this week. God bless you. Have a great week. Our doxology for this series from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 to 21. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen.